0: Be looking after the introductory part, we'll be looking at verse 8 through to the end of the chapter, Daniel chapter 1. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs, Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Let us ask God to bless his word, preach, let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We look forward to not only hearing uh, how it teaches us of faithfulness, of Christ and our responsibility, but of how it will produce fruit in our lives going forth. We expect that based upon your promise and pray that it may be so for each and every one of us. Amen. Most of you know some of the famous New Testament verses that there's, there's several that most Christians would say they could memorize fairly well. So, for example, uh, we call this um, doctrinal didactic teaching in Romans, where Romans isn't sort of narrative like you would find 1 Kings or Chronicles. There's a lot of verses that come fast and furious, and so preachers will preach on one verse in Romans, whereas if you preached on one, one verse in certain Old Testament books, it might take a long time and you might wonder, okay, what's going on here? So in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, we are told, do not be conformed to this world. And everybody knows that verse, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can test and approve what is God's will. And we look at a verse like that and we explain it. Well, I'm here to tell you that Daniel chapter 1 is a sermon, in my view, on Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. What does that look like? It looks like Daniel in Daniel chapter 1, along with his friends. And I want you to understand that Daniel could only test and approve what God's will was for his life by not being conformed to Babylonian culture. And the way, and this is the giveaway, I'm telling you exactly what the sermon is about, the way in which he could understand God's will by not being conformed to the world was by being dependent upon God and not the Babylonian culture. So there's the thesis I have to now explain it or prove it as you would understand. And I think the scriptures will do that for us. So notice that Daniel resolves. This is Daniel. uh, I've been a bit hard on New Year's resolutions this year. Maybe it's just that time in my life where I've given up and everything's hopeless. Uh, That could be it. But uh, if you are like Daniel, go ahead and resolve and resolve to do certain things. Daniel makes a resolution. And the resolution is a very interesting one because um, over time, commentators have shifted their opinions on what could be the reason for this. And I think we're at a fairly safe place in understanding what is going on. He resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Now, this was temporary. We know because in Daniel chapter 10, I think verse 3, he talks about how he goes through a similar type of fast from the things that he usually ate, like the king's food and the meat and the wine. So Daniel makes this resolution that he's not going to defile himself with the king's food. Why would he not eat the king's food? Well, the old popular argument was that The food had been offered to idols, had been sacrificed, and so Daniel could not eat that food. Now, the problem, as some have pointed out, is that the vegetables probably also would have been part of the object of this, if that is indeed what was taking place. And so he doesn't really get out of it by eating the vegetables. Rather, what seems to be the case with Daniel is this. He is attempting to live independently from the king in terms of being seduced into all of the ways of Babylonian culture. That is to say, Daniel is not allowing himself to be molded or squeezed into Babylonian culture. He is actually doing a type of fast where he is showing that he will not be mastered by all of the delicacies of what are being offered to him. And remember, he is going through a re education, a reprogramming. And this reprogramming goes uh, in a number of phases. One would be changing his name and the names of the three friends. The other would be being brought into the king's ways of how to live, how to eat, how to think, and all of that. And so one of the commentators makes this point. He says, Babylon was simply smothering Daniel and his friends. They were foreigners in a foreign land, as we know that. And they were given foreign names. We know that from earlier in the chapter. They were made to eat foreign food, speak a foreign language, and learn foreign customs, all with a view to making them what? The very best, the prototypical Babylonians. But they are Israelites. And so Daniel may well have thought there is a real danger here. What is that danger? He could get sucked up into this comfortable lifestyle by it all, begin to forget God because life is actually quite pleasant. I mean, what's the way to a man's heart? Food, sex, and sleep. That's the truth. Those three things men will always be uh, very tempted by. Here, the food is part of that culture. And the food is one way to get him, to really buy into all that Babylon can offer. So, as the uh, commentator was pointing out, he recognized that if Babylon gets into you, the show is over. What was once a faithful young man has now said, Ah, I I quite like it here. This, This tastes good. I'm enjoying life. And it's not so much that the food would defile him. It's that Daniel couldn't allow himself to become entrapped by all of the dainties, all of the pleasantries of Babylonian culture. And the world can be a very attractive place at times, as it initially gives and gives and gives, and you start to taste of it, and you take and you take and you take, and before long you realize that while you have been swallowing up everything the world is offering you, the world has in fact swallowed you up. Daniel's aware of that. So notice the chief eunuch's response, because in verse 9 we're told God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of eunuchs. Now, if Daniel had resolved not to eat this food and he is a foreigner in a foreign place under the rule of the king, Nebuchadnezzar, and he says, you know, I'm not going to do this. What would the chief of the eunuchs say? Listen, you don't have any choice, buddy. You're going to eat what you're told. I mean, even in a household we do that. Well, maybe not. Some parents give in to their children's requests. I know I have once or 500 times. And you see, we say, no, no, you must eat this and that. You're not the boss. When you get older and you start working, you can start dictating the rules. I say that all the time. So you want to go do that? Fine. When you're older and you pay, you do it. Imagine being in the king's palace and saying, no, no, you know what? I'm going to dictate what I eat. How does Daniel get away with this? Well, he doesn't get away with this in the first instance because of his wisdom. That later becomes apparent. He gets away with this because in the first instance, God has disposed the chief of the eunuchs in a favorable way to Daniel. And that sometimes happens in our life, and we're unaware of it. We focus on the people who don't like us. Oh, I don't like playing for that coach. He hates me. I don't like this teacher. Teacher isn't very good. And we focus on the negative. We rarely focus upon... How sometimes God favorably disposes certain people, even in the world, towards us to accomplish His purposes. And you think, oh, you know, I could see why He likes me. Meanwhile, God has been the one working in the heart to make Him favorably disposed towards Daniel and His friends. Now, you see this response. This response, I think, is a fair one. Ashpenaz, the chief of the eunuchs, states his dilemma openly in verse 10. He said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king. And you see, the real debate or the real contest right now is between Ashpenaz, who fears King Nebuchadnezzar, and Daniel, who fears God. How can fear of the king and fear of God coexist? Can they? And actually, to our surprise, we find out that they can because of wisdom. Now, he states his dilemma. The king has assigned your food and your drink. For why should the king see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? And that means my own life would be on the chopping block. I'm tasked with making you presentable before the king, with feeding you what the king has decided. All of a sudden, you start to look emaciated because you're not eating. The king's going to come after me and say, why has this happened? And I says, oh, well, they didn't want to eat. Oh, yeah, do you think the chief of the eunuchs is going to say, well, Daniel didn't want to eat? So I listen to Daniel while the king has been saying, this is what they're to eat. You see, it would have been crazy. So I have a lot of sympathy for the chief of eunuchs right here. He's doing nothing wrong. And Daniel understands that. So Daniel has a conscience issue. He doesn't want to be conformed to Babylonian culture, but he understands the dilemma of the chief of the eunuchs. What does one do? Go on a hunger strike? Or does Daniel show wisdom? Well, notice what ends up taking place. Daniel, in verse 11, says to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel and his three friends... Here's what we will do. Because I'm showing concern for your dilemma and I don't want to stand before the king emaciated and have your life put at risk, you are going to allow us to eat vegetables and drink water for 10 days. And after this test has taken place, if we are still in good condition, then. You can allow us to eat vegetables and drink water and not the king's food and drink the king's wine and all will be well for you, all will be well for us. Everybody's happy. Daniel wants to have his vegetables and eat them too. And so this appears to be a quite reasonable conviction of Daniel's. But I want you to also, before we move on, See how Daniel stayed true to his convictions but still showed respect towards the steward and the chief of eunuchs in his approach. Christians can sometimes lack wisdom and respect when they are faced with decisions where they don't quite want to do certain things. And I know my temptation is just to yell at people. My temptation is to just get in a fight. It's harder to take a step back and say, how can I display wisdom? How can I display respect, show honor in a place where honor was due? And Daniel and his friends does precisely that. And Daniel and his friends are convinced they are convinced that God will supply their needs. Now, some of you are probably thinking, well, this is an excellent argument for veganism, Christian veganism. Daniel is not making the argument that vegetables are a better diet than meat and wine. It's not that, because when you actually look at what's said in the text, Daniel has to appear before the king in relation to the other youths as fatter, not... Thinner. And vegetables, as far as I'm led to believe, not being a big uh, vegetable eater myself, vegetables are not the type of food that helps you put on a lot of fat. Now, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty confident that vegetables have a purpose and one of them might actually be slimming instead of fattening. So the point wasn't that Daniel's somehow locked into a health idea and so this is how he's going to trick them. He's going to eat vegetables and appear fatter. No, Daniel is saying, I can trust God to perform a miracle here so that we will not look like the emaciated youths that will cost this chief of the eunuch and his steward their lives and our lives perhaps also. So what ends up happening? Well, notice in verse 15, at the end of the 10 days, you see it's long enough to prove the point. If it was one or two days, you wouldn't really know. Because after one or two days, not a whole lot changes with us. But after 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh. How did that happen? Vegetables don't do that. Then all the youths, it was actually palpable. You could see, all of a sudden, Daniel's friends are fatter in flesh and better in appearance. They probably had these big cheeks, rosy cheeks, and look like, whoa. You know when someone's like, oh, his mother's fed him well. When I was at university and I had to cook for myself, and I came home from university for Christmas break or summer, I always came back skinny. And then I would just dig in to my mother's cooking and I'd put on enough weight. It's like a bear, you know. You you put on all that weight and you go back into hibernation, university, you have to cook for yourself. Well, Daniel and his friends, they look good, fatter in flesh than all the youths. So the steward did what? The steward took away their food and their wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. And you see... Here, Daniel has proven his point and the chief steward has not lost his life and the friends of Daniel along with himself have not been coerced into getting too comfortable in Babylon. Now, these four youths, God does something. They honor God. God honors them. Never forget that. You cannot do something for God in which he would go, yeah, I don't know how I'm going to bless this person now. God honors those who honor him. That's how God works. The life of faith where you're putting your trust, your faith in God to supply your needs, God will supply not just your needs, but in abundance. That's who God is. And so God gives them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions, and dreams. Remember, Pharaoh said to his servants in Genesis 41, verse 38, Can we find a man, Joseph speaking of, like this, in whom is the Spirit of God? Daniel and his friends are another Joseph, another Moses. And this basically, I think, sets the reader up for what will happen in the rest of the book. God has endowed Daniel and his friends with, with supernatural wisdom. He has blessed them because they have honored him. Now, notice something else. They are brought in to stand before King Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And they stood before the king. Now, I think this is where the phrase and I love this phrase. Uh, my wife is ten times better than every other wife. Uh, you know when we say that at school or something, my dad is ten times, uh, better than your dad and my soccer team's ten times better than that soccer team. It's from the Bible. The phrase, ten times better. You gotta use that. Especially with your wife. Even wives, maybe try it with your husband my husband's ten times better than all the other husbands. hey, yeah, maybe not <laughs> five let 's go with five let 's work our way up, shall we but it is a it 's hard to calculate these things, you know when you say ten times, what does it mean it's a It seems like just a, a hyperbolic statement, which it is in a certain sense, but in another sense, I think. Um, there's a sense in which they are just so far outstripping everyone else that it is amounting to, hey, they're ten times wiser. So, he found them, the king, ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. Now, what can we learn from this by way of application? The first is this. You have to understand what Daniel is doing here is extremely, extremely important in terms of resolving on what may appear to be a small and insignificant thing. You take a child in Sunday school and you say, oh, we're going to learn about Daniel. What will the child say? The child will say, oh, uh, I know the story of Daniel and his friends. There's the the fiery furnace and then there's the lion's den and that happens in chapter 3 and chapter 6. But what allows Daniel and his friends in chapter 3 and chapter 6 to get through those trials? It starts here in chapter 1 where they resolve not to become like the world, not to become like Babylon, but to be men of faith and to trust God. Once you trust God in the small things, you can trust Him in the great things. And so this was the time to take a stand now in chapter 1. Would they live by faith? would they depend upon God and not King Nebuchadnezzar? Would they get comfortable in Babylon or would they put upon themselves a willing fast in which they would not be seduced by all that Babylon had to offer? And as one commentator said, the purpose of this diet was to keep these four pious Judeans from believing that their physical appearance And by extension, perhaps their intellectual gifts were the gift of the Babylonian culture. It was the gift of God, and they knew it. And as God is honoring them, they in turn have confidence to continue to honor God. And so when you get to chapter 3 and chapter 6, they've already established a pattern of living by faith that enables them to take the stand that they do. But I want you to notice something else. The issue, as I said, is will they depend upon God or King Nebuchadnezzar? What was Satan's great desire for Christ? Would Christ, in his temptation, depend upon himself? Would Christ, of His own natural resources, as the eternal Son of God, turn the stones into bread and depend upon Himself? Or would Christ, as He had from the very beginning, depend upon His Father and His Father's will? I only speak the words the Father has given me. My meat and drink is to do the will of God. You see, in the life of Christ, what you have is actually the fully dependent life. What's that book that sold so many, probably millions of copies by Rick Warren? The Purpose Driven Life. It's anthropocentric because it's about your life and it's about your purpose in life. And that's going to sell. But the fully dependent life is actually the more biblical picture of Christ who was fully dependent upon God. And so Satan wants Christ to give up his dependence and trust upon God. And he said, if you are the Son of God... What's the first problem with that question, if you are the Son of God? What's the the problem with him asking that question? The problem is this. Jesus had just been baptized, and the Father had audibly spoken one of the rare occasions anywhere in the Scripture, and he had said to his Son, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Satan says, If you are the Son of God... Jesus does not need to turn stones into bread to know that he is the Son of God. He's already been assured that by his Father. There's the first problem. The second problem is that Jesus answers appropriately, man does not, quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, man does not live by bread alone. In other words, Jesus could have said, I will depend upon my Father's omnipotent, Hand rather than myself. Daniel will depend upon God rather than himself. Joseph will depend upon God rather than himself. Moses will depend upon God rather than himself. And so the question for you and the question for me is simply this To what extent does your life vindicate? Dependence upon God rather than dependence upon yourself. And you see, that's the real issue because the world can look after you to a certain extent. The world takes care of its own. It comes at a price, but it'll take care of you. The Christian life is a fight, a constant fight about whether we will depend upon God. Will we pray each day, your will be done, not my will? That's dependence upon God. In fact, the very act of prayer is simply that, saying to God, I can't do it, I need you to do it. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. When you confess your sins and look to Christ for forgiveness, you're depending upon God. And Daniel is simply doing that. You see, it's not actually meant to be confusing, Daniel chapter 1. Daniel is simply saying, I will not be conformed to this world, this Babylonian world, but rather I will be transformed by the renewing of my mind, which is what God does when he blesses him with intelligence and wisdom, ten times that of all the other youths, so that I can test and approve, which is what he does for the rest of the book of Daniel, what is God's will. And you see, I think, and I may be wrong, but I think that many of us sitting here this morning We are not allowing God to do great things in our life because we are not dependent enough upon Him to do those things. And we are so self-dependent that we leave very little room for God except the occasional, thank you, Lord, for forgiving my sins and a little tip of the hat here and a little tip of the hat there. And you get along with your life. But you see, the Christian life is not a tip of the hat to God. It is a complete self-renunciation of everything in order for God to give you every word, every action, every blessing from His hand so that at the end, He will receive all the glory. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God, thank You for Your Word. We confess how self-reliant we are how we are afraid to pray and to live like Daniel and his friends where we are seeking your supernatural blessing in our life. And so please bless us, we pray, even with the small things which are great things, like communion with you, prayer in your name, and the hopeful expectation that you will do far more than we can think or imagine. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.